Welcome to you all, three of our finest nurses. And I say finest, not just because of the years of dedicated service you've given to New Zealand in a profession that touches the lives of every single New Zealander at some point in our lives, the nursing profession, one of our most important professions to treasure and to support, which this government is not doing. But I also say you're our finest because, you're, because of your courage, your bravery, in being willing to speak out at a time when, on the project last week alone, so many Kiwis were disgusted to see people like Mark, whatever his name, the cricketer, Richardson, I think his name is, um, Jesse Mulligan, others on the project all saying, oh, I wouldn't let anyone I love be touched by an unjabbed nurse or that kind of, um, that kind of abuse of our nurses is, is just disgusting. We need, we need the staff, but I, for one, I wouldn't want a family member being treated by an unvaccinated nurse. Get the jab, go back to work. <laughs> Take one for the team. <laughs> you know, every now and then we have to do something we don't want to do. <laughs> but your country's calling. Get the jab and go back. I don't care what your rationale is behind. Your country's saying we need you. But you are in there. You are doing the work. And still, having seen fellow nurses abused like that, you are willing to speak out. So that's why I say you're among our finest, all three of you. Thank you. I want to quote, first of all, from your um, email to me, Deborah, because you're the head of the new Nurses for Freedom organisation, which we'll talk about. But this is what you said in your email to me. These very brave nurses have agreed to be interviewed. I've spoken to each one about safety, and what doing the interview might mean should they be looking to be re-employed. They are still all willing to stand up and be counted. That, that is such an accolade to all of you, but it really shocked me, Deborah, that nurses seem to be in a state of fear about speaking out. Can you just preface this discussion with what that is like? What's the prevailing ethos with nurse, nurses? about whistleblowing on what's really going on. Are they very afraid? Thanks, Liz, and thanks for having us on your podcast today. That's really special, and we're, we're really encouraged by your support. Um, I think this whole um, ethos around whistleblowing, although, although there is a new low out, I think it, it's deeply entrenched in nursing, that nurses historically have struggled to stand up and say things as they really are, the fear of... Um, Tall poppy syndrome, the fear of being labelled as a troublemaker within their ranks. So nurses historically do struggle to um, stand up and be counted. But on this occasion, we don't feel we've got any option. This is too important for us not to stand up about. We can see nurses um, currently with vaccine injuries who try to do the right thing according to government guidelines. And now they're vaccine injured and now they're standing up as whistleblowers and saying, hey, this has happened to me, but still they're not getting the exemption, still they're being um, pounded by the press. So at whatever level this whistleblowing starts and finishes, it's very much alive and well. I'll pick up some other points from there, but Gabrielle, is that the same for you? Is it, is it quite, a, quite a challenge to speak out as somebody in the, in the nursing area and you nurse within the prison system? Has it always felt like a great mountain to climb to speak out? 
To be honest, I probably am a person that does a lot of speaking out. So I don't personally find it challenging to speak out. What I do find challenging is the moment we are not being heard and we are not being listened to. So this is really unusual for me. I'm, you know, I've got a loud voice. I'm very happy to articulate myself. I was the union delegate, but I don't know how many years I was always the champion of everyone else. But when the time has come for me to need that champion, everyone's left the room or, you know, then they're not interested. So I guess that's that's been the difficulty from my perspective. That puts it really well. And isn't it interesting, the Minister of Health was a union delegate. Yes. And unions are meant to be all about speaking out and listening. And Absolutely. he's not. We'll get back to that. So what about for you as a mental health nurse? Is it tricky to, to go public and say, there are things now that need to be said and I'll find the courage to say them? Yeah, it, 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 is, very, it is very tricky. And look, I tried to sort of have a voice at work when I was still there, right at, before the mandates um, were, were coming in. And yeah, I was um, in, in some ways ridiculed for, for even speaking out, um, for having an opinion to, to try and gain some informed consent about these vaccines. So uh, it's, it's been hard. I was felt isolated. I felt isolated in a, in a close team, in a small team I was working in. Um, and then as time went on, more people sort of dropped past, you know, by my, my from my side, I guess, people, we was, there were a few of us standing together saying, no, we're not going to going to have have the vaccine for our own reasons. Um, but I was the last man standing, literally. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. um, yeah. So very, there'll, be very, people, uh, there'll be people from workplaces all over New Zealand who can absolutely relate to what you've said. I've interviewed many who say, I was the last one. I was the only one. I was one of two who said no. The courage of you, I just want to salute. I really do. Thank you for today. This could help many others feel more courageous. Let's get back to you, Deborah, your earlier answers saying, it's got to a point where you have to speak out and your speaking out will encourage thousands of others to speak out, I believe. But Deborah, what is it that you're doing? Tell us about this new Nurses for Freedom organisation so Kiwis know what you've set up and why. Yes, the Nurses for Freedom started in essence last year before the mandate started. It just didn't really go live and gain any traction until um, we started the Telegram about five weeks ago now. And then since then, we've got over 750 members, um, the majority of whom are registered nurses. Our main premise is to actually support nurses by nurses, because what we found was that in this big tangled mess, nurses um, were just left out there on their own, hurting, broken, with very little support, certainly no support from employers. Many just left on the day that they were terminated. There was no goodbyes after 40 years. There was no parties. There was no farewell receptions. We just left. We just walked out. We just were discarded. So that means that we've got a whole generation of nurses ranging from new graduates, student nurses, right up to people like myself near retirement age who are broken, who need some support and some working towards closure. So that's the first premise of what we're doing is nurses supporting nurses. And we've got a number of systems in place to do that. 
But then it very quickly became apparent that we needed to represent these nurses at the higher echelons of power. So with the unions, with nursing council, with, within politicians and anybody that will listen, we need to get the mandates dropped and we need to get our nurses back to work. So it's very clean, very clear message that we needed. So it's not just now mandated nurses that you're representing, you are now representing nurses from across the spectrum, those in the system still trying to work against the odds with, with enormous numbers gouged out of their out of their workforce. They're trying to carry those numbers and this government will not let wise, experienced nurses come back on. They're still mandating our nursing staff, aren't they? I mean, the reality is, Liz, that 4,000 nurse deficit before COVID hit. So our country was already struggling to recruit nurses. And then there's varying figures around. And we have put out some official information requests to get the actual numbers of nurses that were mandated. But that information is really hard to tease out because some nurses left, some resigned, some were transferred to casual contracts. So we're not actually getting the truth. But we reckon it's probably about 1,500 nurses. But the sad thing is that is growing every day as nurses decide not to take the booster, as nurses decide after vaccine injuries that they're just going to have to be mandated or terminated like the rest of us. So there's new nurses coming into this journey every day to join those of us that were mandated in November. So it's very, very sad situation. And what I hear too, Gabrielle, is that many nurses don't want to take the booster themselves because they don't want to put a third dose of something they don't know uh, what's in it in their bodies, but also because of what they're seeing. What's it been like in the system where you're working? What are you seeing in the people who've been jabbed? I... Thinking back to, because obviously I finished in, you know, I think the mandate came through in December, but I had already finished by probably end of October, November. Anecdotally, I had, you know, I had people coming to me with different things um, and asking me about rashes or making strange connections with, you know, um, having a, a period out of cycle on the back of a, a you know, a... Um, one of the vaccines. I didn't really hear too much at work about those things. I largely kept out of it, to be honest, because I had made my position very clear from the get-go that I neither wanted to be vaccinated or to vaccinate others. So I, I you know, I wasn't part of a lot of the process. I just kept clear of it. Yes. However, are those stories apocryphal or are they true that, for example, prisoners who wanted to be able to get out early for good behaviour, that was on the term that they take the jab? Have you heard any of those stories within the prison I system? Haven't was there heard coercion? That. I haven't heard that, but obviously there was phone cards being given to prisoners. Now, I don't believe that happened at the prison I worked at and one of the nurses that spoke to me latterly said that she felt that was unethical and didn't take that up. But I certainly don't believe informed consent is a lollipop, an adult receiving a lollipop. And that did happen. And, uh, you know, we know that the, the, the prisoners, if their visitors didn't get vaccinated, they didn't have visitors. Oh, that's so crucial. imagine how cruel that would be, you know, and you could be potentially prevented from programs, et cetera, 
by not being vaccinated yourself. So, you know, there was a lot of pressure and there was a lot of emails on staff and, you know, with the prisoners as well. And, you know, there just wasn't any capacity for them to look into anything for themselves, except for the safe and effective line that was so trotted out by everyone. Oh, Sue, the mental stress of that, I can't even imagine, to be locked up already, to know that all your basic freedoms are gone. You can't see your families unless they're jabbed and you don't want them to be jabbed. Say, that that person who's decided they don't want that. And then to know they could force me, coerce me, because I'm locked down, to be jabbed. Sue, can you imagine that the mental stress on those prisoners, along with everything else they're going through? Well, I was starting to see the the effects of the vaccine rollouts, I guess, through work. There was a massive increase in anxiety among people. People were scared, uh, and that was that was coming through. We look. I would I would monitor who was coming through ED um, for potential assessments. There was a massive increase in in heart issues, in clots, and in, in strokes. Um, that, that you could see on a daily basis. Whether wow. that people were putting two and two together, I'm not sure. I, I left at the time also, when was it, in November, when the mandate, or December, I think, um, when, when it had come through. Um, but, but, you know, I did work with staff that had some unusual side effects, rashes, um, you know, not feeling well at all. Um, for me, I, I had chosen not not to have the vaccine due to medical condition. I've had breast cancer twice and now non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and facing possibly another diagnosis. It was a it was a no-brainer for me. I didn't have enough information for to make an informed consent on on what this vaccine would would do for my body. Um, I tried to get a tried to get a um, an exemption and uh, my work was extremely supportive of me in going down that line. They understood completely about my reluctance to to have the vaccine. But of course that was that was turned that was turned down. Oh Sue, it's it's been a heartbreak. I think this has been a slow train crash of breaking Kiwi's hearts. And one of the first things I noticed in interviews were the most legitimate cases were all getting these ghastly letters signed by the equally ghastly Ashley Bloomfield saying no, no exemption for you. And I'm talking one interview where a woman was saying she would have to have a crash cut, she'd have to be resuscitated back to life. And, and I've heard now of many cases of that, where he was willing to have people die in effect, and hope they could be resuscitated. What kind of a health bureaucrat would sanction that? The stress must have been enormous. When you say the mental stress you were seeing, were people coming into you saying, I'm so anxious about this, this jab? What have I done to my body? Could this be the jab? Is that the kind of thing they were saying? Or were they not really putting it together in those early months? I don't know if they were really putting it together. And as I said, I wasn't around um, enough at that stage once the vaccine rollouts were really hitting hitting top, top yeah. go ahead. Um, but I, I can remember somebody um, stating that they they had an increase in anxiety, you know, to the point where they weren't functioning because they were scared. People were scared of COVID. People were terrified of COVID as well. 
So, um, so there was a lot of conversations that I'd have on the phone about people being terrified of catching COVID. Um, lots of triaging over the phone with, with anxiety. And of course, once that, you, you start one piece of anxiety in your life, it just multitudes like a cancer, <laughs> really, into other areas. It's like yeah. a snowball. And tell me, with your it health can. With, with your health conditions, hearing someone like Mark, what's his name, that cricketing guy on Project, on the project last week, say, just take the jab for the team. For people like you, or for me, I've had pericarditis years ago, and I'm, I, I could never have risked having this. But how did that make you feel to hear someone dismiss valid health reasons for not taking this I, I was angry. I was angry when I watched it. I was I was angry, but I was also saddened that people so, are just so ignorant, I guess, or just um, so unaware that a lot of us have really valid reasons for yes. not for not wanting the vaccine. Mine, mine was more than valid. I didn't know what the vaccine would do to my body. I didn't know if it was going to to ignite things in my body again that I had fought off. I, I, you know, there wasn't enough um, evidence, I guess, in the, in the mainstream about it. And, um, yeah, and I was fearful. And I still am. Yeah. So you're terrifically brave. How are you coping with the mental health issues arising from this? Because you're helping others. Look... Yeah, I'm, I was helping others. When the mandate first came in, my mental health spiralled, absolutely spiralled. I didn't know how I was going to cope. I'm a solo mum. I have a big mortgage. How am I going to live? I feel tearful even thinking about it. I had thoughts of wanting to end my life. I got seen by my own team because of it. I didn't know how I was going to manage to, to live and look here I am I'm still alive I'm okay my mental health is is in a good place now but I was on the other side of the coin um you know I, I'm face an, an ongoing issue already with having cancer and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma that could flare up and and basically come through my body at any time as well as you know the financial stress um I've lost family, I've lost friends because of my decision not to be vaccinated. It's been it's been devastating. A life changer here. What has got you through? I'm so sorry to hear this. What's got you through? The universe, I don't know. I go out and I stand like a lunatic under the under the stars and go and pray for peace. Um, I, I hope that people start just seeing this for what it is. Um, I, I've been provided for. People have looked after me, uh, family and, and friends. I've got a beautiful new network of friends that I've never had before in my life, of a closeness that I've never felt before in my life. So they have got me through. Yeah. Many of us are saying that, aren't we? Deborah, do you feel that? Many people we thought were lifelong friends have gone, evaporated. They didn't seem to be what they were. They didn't stand for any principle. They went along with whatever was thrown at them. But then these new people of real moral courage have come into my life who are deep, lifelong friends now. Have you felt that, Deborah? Absolutely. And that's, again, part of Nurses for Freedom, that we found our new tribe. We found people 
people that we don't have to explain how we feel or how we got into this journey just goes without saying that we're all um in different um, canoes and different boats and different um, mechanisms but we're all heading in the same direction and we all know what the truth is and we all know that we're aiming in the same direction and it is just beautiful I, I do I do think it's sad reflection on um kind of society in general that the majority of people just accepted and um, the narrative without actually looking at it and of course you would because if the government says something um, that the vaccine is safe and effective or whatever other message there might be out there, of course you're going to accept that because it's your government. You trust your government, right? So people didn't question. And, and I've got friends who are principals in schools and highly qualified consultants who didn't actually look at the research, didn't actually do their own due, due, due diligence and just went along with the narrative. Um, and that is concerning, but that also makes me understand that my new tribe have done their due diligence and not just going along with mainstream um, narratives and even conspiracy theory narratives. They're looking at this themselves and they're coming up with their own actions, their own solutions. So I'm glad to be part of that tribe who are free thinkers, critical thinkers, and who aren't afraid to stand up and be counted. You articulate that so well. And then getting back to what Sue said, you're all helping each other. Is, is there a kind of family feeling within Nurses for Freedom? Is it Absolutely. You know, um, we, we've got each other's backs. We, we know that this is just, a, it, this is a long, need a long-term solution to the issues that we're seeing. It's not a short-term thing. You know, we're seeing a lot of nurses now that are considering not going back into the system they've seen what has happened to people that stand up and, and kind of raise their heads above the parapet and we our job now is to try to bring some kind of healing there I use that word in this day and age but we want to bring some healing to the nurses that we come into contact with and you know we've, we've been under quite a bit of um, press criticism this week but last night I just happened to put a post on our telegram site um I wanted to run a pop-up poll to see where the nurses are from, to see what specialties they've come from. And Liz, it's been going all night, people telling us, I'm an ICU nurse, I'm an ED nurse, I'm a district nurse, I'm an oncology nurse. So I clearly I've run out of fingers and toes because one of the um, fact checkers has said there's only 10 nurses on our site. So we're kind of up to 50 already, just people telling us where they're from who they identify with. And, you know, the good thing is that once you're a nurse and once you're a mental health nurse or a district nurse, that you can't take that identity from, from nurses. No matter what they do, no matter what they try to do to us, we will remain who we've always been and we'll be proud and strong. Beautiful. And I just, I'm looking forward to the part of our interview where we do talk about solutions we can all come up with. I think I've got a brilliant one, but I can't tell you yet. I'd have to, I'd, <laughs> I'd have to make you sign non-disclosure agreements, but if it works, it'll be amazing for our national nurses. I tell you, Gabrielle, I saw you nodding along with things that Sue and Deborah were saying there. Is it that feeling for you also the, the dark night of the soul is starting to break through to a dawn? Have you had your dark night of the soul like Sue has? I think um, for myself, absolutely, totally concur with Sue and Debbie. This whole thing from lockdown last year, I knew exactly where this was going. 
I knew I was going to be mandated. I knew I was going to be out of a job. So I've been grieving since then. And, you know, like it just feels like this government has tried to take everything off me. And, you know, watching it all play out, it's just, it has been unbelievable and sort of, you know, it's quite surreal watching it. And of course, you know, the mental health has taken a hit and I'm a very strong person, let me tell you. And I have taken a huge hit. It has been very difficult and it has, um, you know, like I think Sue and Deborah said, it has affected family relationships. It has affected friendships. It has affected work. It's taken our profession off us. I am now no longer a practicing nurse. I don't have my practicing certificate first time in 28 years. Um, it has taken my church off me. It took oh. my ability to get my stupid haircut. <laughs> but you know what? It, it actually has strengthened in me my resolve to think if anyone is going after me this hard, this medicine is not that good for me. And actually, it just makes me firmer and just thinking, no, I'm not going to be bullied. And actually, what I had said to some people, you know, working in the prison and leaving was the hardest thing for me to do because I absolutely love the girls. But I said that if I could not maintain my own bodily integrity, how could I be trusted to look after these precious women in my care? And really, oh. that's, what it, that's what it came down to for me. Gabrielle, what a beautiful, compassionate statement. So the women in prison who you were looking after as a nurse, you talk about as your girls and, and these precious women. Can you imagine if we had a government, if we had a prime minister who talked about New Zealanders, the way you talk about these women in prison who do equally deserve to be treated in a humane way so they can get their lives back on track. Tell us about briefly about that. What's it like nursing in prison? It's a privilege. It is uh, some of the hardest work you'll do, but it's a place where you can speak the truth and love. And the girls know, or you know, the men as well, but I've primarily worked with the women, they know if you're authentic. Yes. And they know if you really mean what you say. And I always had that real sense of I would not promise anything I couldn't deliver. And I would always wrap up a bit of a counselling session in the time that I saw the girls. When they'd come into prison, one of the first things I'd say, and you can imagine I saw the most broken people on the planet, was this is a health spa. Treat it like that. You haven't been looking after yourself the worst has happened in your mind, but we're going to look after you and we're going to get your health up to speed. And, you know, I had the most amazing experiences with women. I've got a little note I can read out. But one of the women, when I said to her, I asked her what her story was. Remembering I worked there for 21 years. So some of the girls went back with me a long time. I really was a lifer. <laughs> and this woman, I said to her who loved her, she said, you, and I was the only person she could say. Gabrielle. So, you know, that was, that was the better work story. So I challenged the Labor government to find um, nurses from overseas that can engender that response and who will have the people's backs and will hear them 
and will speak their language. And I'm not talking te reo, I'm not talking um, English first language, I'm talking hearing their heart and speaking to that. Gabrielle, you're extraordinary. Can you read out that letter you said you have there? So if I just preface this with this, this woman was a woman who was coming into the prison late at night and I was on call and I was really annoyed because I was going to have to come in around or after midnight. So I was annoyed about this and she had apparently taken an overdose in court, but apparently it then wasn't really an overdose because the hospital from where, where she was coming from was happy to send her. But I decided before I went in, because I was called into the prison by my God, and I decided I was not gonna give this woman a hard time because I felt she had already been given a hard enough time and it was the last place she wanted to be, clearly if she was trying to take an overdose. So this is what she said to me, or gave to me, to a beautiful nurse, you gave me hope when I had none and made me feel loved when I felt unlovable. Arahata is so lucky to have you. You're the best nurse I've met. Grateful, Gabby. You honestly made my sentence easier. You're a beautiful lady and you showed me God isn't a horrible person. I've had strong, strong beliefs of the devil and you showed me I'm okay and loved. Gabrielle, <laughs> that, that is a treasure for New Zealand. And I'm talking about the letter on one hand, but I'm talking about that level of nursing care, that level of commitment, that level of love and professionalism, and you all embody that. And Deborah, I'm sure that you would say that about many of the other, if not all, of the other 750 in your group. Dedicated, beautiful souls waking up love in others through the sort of work that Gabrielle's done. Absolutely. I mean, I feel very privileged to be here today in the presence of such greatness because Gabby and Sue, clearly, their loss, absolutely their loss. And I think that's reflected in the stories that we're hearing on the site. You know, um, even yesterday, um, a story, a very similar story about patients that are desperate for their nurses to go back. And, and meeting them in the small communities in which they live and not understanding, first of all, the mandates are still in place for health, but secondly, that that nurse, that midwife, cannot be their nurse and midwife because of a vaccine, because of a virus. It just doesn't make any sense anymore. I know in my case, um, I had lunch with my ex-colleagues last week and the sentiment from all of them was, we want you back. Every single one of your patients wants you back. Why isn't Mr. Little listening to this? Why is the government not responding accordingly? You know, we've offered um, mitigating risk, uh, risk assessments in place. We've offered to, to compromise on this. But clearly, they really don't care about the public and about our health system, because if they did, they'd let us back, because that's what our patients want. And I feel that down the, down the line, our patients and the public will vote with their feet on this because not only are they seeing their nurses being treated terribly um, and discriminated against, because that is what is happening now, 
but also their health is suffering because we are not in place to serve them. And we have got thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of experienced and senior nurses. I did run a quick poll and over 30% over um, yeah, over 30% of our nurses have been qualified more than 30 years. That is oh. an, an amazing amount of experience and intuition and just knowing your patient, just knowing yourself, which cannot be replicated. And that actually will feed into the next generation of nurses and new graduates because they also now are going to be missing out on that intuition and that experience that comes from working with senior mentors like ourselves that have been terminated. So there's nobody winning in this situation, Liz, and it's tragic. There is no winner in this. And that prisoner who you helped, Gabrielle, I really felt in her letter, she was saying, there was another message there. There was thanks to you and love for you. But there was a message of, I'll turn my life around because of you. That is a life that is a really worthwhile life. And to even bring Andrew Little, his name, into that conversation is to go from the absolute sublime of humanity, the best of what we offer, to a politician who is utterly betraying us and the worst of what this New Zealand population has thrown up. I cannot look at Andrew Little any more than I can look at Jacinda Ardern. What did you feel, Sue, when you saw Andrew Little talk about nurses speaking with forked tongues in the media assault that you guys have been through this week? I mean, as a Kiwi, and I'm not a nurse, I just felt disgusted by that phrase. Oh, it's, it's just, the whole thing is just so sad. I just, yeah, I, I don't even know what I can say to that. It's, yeah, it's it's just so disappointing. You know, we're, we're people, we're mums, we're, we're aunties, we're sisters, we're lovers, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're people who just want to be out there doing what we've loved doing. I've been a nurse for 31 years, probably longer if you look at me when I started nurse aiding since I was 16 with the elderly. So, you know, I'm 51 now. I'm thinking, what am I gonna, what am I gonna do now? <clears throat> what can I do? I've had so much um, taken away from me, I guess. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, I don't even know what to say to his comments. Um, yeah. It's incredible. It's so, you know, you, what was that? It's just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It's you just, just mentioned 31 years, and Gabrielle said 28 years. So between you, you're close to 60 years experience. And then, Deborah, how many years nursing are you? I'm almost 40. My God. We've got, in this small group, 100 years of nursing experience. 100 years. All those hours that you could pass on to young nurses. All those intuitions. Did you all feel at the beginning of the rollout pretty much there's something very odd about this way, the, the way this is being done? Can you take us there, Sue? Did you, right at the start, did you think I've something oh, smells wrong? I, yeah. Something smelled wrong for me when my 12-year-old child was allowed to give her own consent without having a vaccine. That's when it hit me that this is wrong. How can my daughter, who, who was 12 at the time, go along, and she did. She went along to a pharmacy without my consent and had her 
had her immunisation. Oh. That was that. That was a a point for me. Like, oh my, oh my goodness, this this child of mine that I've protected, that I have to um, provide consent to have Panadol at school, can go along and get a vaccine that I knew nothing about. Um, because she was worried that she was going to miss out on going certain year to places, going to the movies, going out with friends, going to the swimming pool. Uh, and and that's when I thought this is this is not right. And then of course there was all sorts of uh, I guess stuff coming in not on mainstream media that just said, look, there was going to be more than one vaccine. There was going to be two. There was going to be boosters. How many we don't know. I, I was I was saying this stuff to people at work. They just looked at me like I was nuts. I said, "You're gonna. This is not going to be the first one. You're going to have to take. There's going to be more than this." And when when have we ever been? Yeah, had, had to make that decision about our job. People said it was a choice. You know, you you still had a choice to take it or or not. Well, I, yeah, it wasn't a choice. It, it, I felt, you know, it was felt bullying um, and I, I walked away from 31 years I, I walked away knowing that for me my intuition was telling me that I was doing absolutely the right thing for me and my body yeah and making that stand the courage of you because many people I have talked to said they went along and had the jab and they were crying because inside their bodies they knew it was not the right thing they felt it it was not the right thing Medically, Gabrielle, did that strike you to the rollout, the, the, the bizarre nature of it? Had you ever seen anything like this before where coercion is used for a major medical procedure? No, of course, I hadn't seen anything like that. And I guess, you know, I was always the person that, you know, championed other people's right to say yes or no to different things. I was the smear taker at Arahata. So I knew when people said, no, I wasn't going to force their hand. But surprisingly enough, through my education and good manner, I had a very high hit rate, but it wasn't through bullying, coercion or threats. And that's what we've experienced. And as Sue said about the, the choice, it wasn't a choice. And I don't know whether it's a national program thing that's been trotted out some phrase. But the amount of times I've now heard, you've made your choice, now you need to accept your consequences. Clearly, this has been something that a few people have had on, um, on repeat and replay, because there's lots of people saying that very thing, which is interesting, because, you know, as this health system shows itself to be as broken as it is and fall over... Will we then say, well, you, you know, this is the consequences of not listening to experience, nurses, health professionals, allied health, who are saying there's something deeply wrong here. That's a, that's a powerful point. Let's move to that, Deborah. What are the nurses in Nurses for Freedom telling you about what they've been seeing? And I'm talking here about the ones who might have had one or two of the jabs and they're leaving it now because they know as Sue said, a booster every three months? How can the body take such an assault? Any nurse with, with an ounce of medical training, proper medical health training would go, that doesn't make sense. Poison upon poison upon poison every three months. So these ones who are leaving, what are they telling you 
they've been seeing in the hospitals, Deborah? So we have been really careful to avoid going down any rabbit holes in terms of um, eliciting information from people unless they want to tell us. And we have been really careful about not identifying where some of this information is coming from to protect the nurses and the patients. But you cannot take away from this that the majority of nurses we're seeing are the ones that have had one or two of the vaccines and then perhaps deferred from the third booster, uh, from the booster, because the vaccine injured. So that in itself, it's not something, it's not intuition, it's an actual fact that they have been vaccine injured. But the other nurses that you know, mentioned that there's thousands of years of experience and intuition within our group, nurses know when something's not right. For many of us, nursing is an art, but it's also a science. And what we know is that a science is open and should always be open to debate and negotiation and comment. And unfortunately, when that is shut down, there is no science. The science doesn't exist because science does not exist alone in a silo. It is something that is moving and morphing and something that we smell, taste, feel, something that we read about, something that we look overseas and read the evidence for. Now, that clearly isn't happening in New Zealand. And I think a lot of our nurses, as well as bringing their intuition and their something just doesn't feel right scenario into this, they're also looking at the research and the data and seeing patterns and um, things happen in other countries. So they're just bringing their experience and their clinical critical reasoning skills into this as well. So we've seen a whole plethora of reasons why not to have the next injection, from personal injury to something doesn't feel right to I've looked at this and I can't make the, the data and the research add up. Are many of them saying to you what Sue said in the early months while she was still in the system, Sue noticed a sudden jump in certain conditions. And myocarditis obviously springs to mind. Skin conditions, I'm certainly hearing from a lot of people about tinnitus. And and there are more than a few neurological, really badly damaged shakes and um, uh, headaches, terrible headaches from the back of the head. Are you hearing from some of these nurses that they also noticed enormous jumps from other years in certain conditions? We are, and it's the ones you've just mentioned, Liz. It is the the heart conditions, the stroke, the clotting diseases, all that kind of general um, area. But obviously, if we present this information, and some of our nurses are working with NZD SOS to try to, and the health forum to try to bring some of these stories to the fore, and um, we will we make ourselves very vulnerable if we bring that information out. So what we do is we bring it out, but we also line it up with the data from peer-reviewed evidence-based research that we've seen overseas as well, which backs up exactly what our nurses are telling us. So this is a double-pronged approach because we're not silly. We are trained. We're highly qualified professionals. And we're saying, hey, the two don't add up. The sad thing about this is that um, in general, in nursing and in other clinicians, we very clearly see the link between some of these adverse reactions and the vaccine, but GPs, EDs are not making that link. And even if they are personally making the link, it's certainly not being um, identified in patients' notes or it's being written off as anxiety or 
you know, a young person's ill because of another reason. So nobody is actually making that link between the vaccine and what we're seeing. But globally, we can see an increase in young people dying in strokes, in pericarditis, myocarditis. But unfortunately, right now, our clinicians aren't at that space. And, and how do you prove it? I mean, how do you actually prove that what we're seeing is a result of the vaccine? That's actually really, really hard to do anyway. So we, we're really cautious about making an absolute link, but we know from intuition that it's a very probable link. In, in any other vaccine, a probable link would have been reason for the government to stop the rollout. One or two deaths would have been enough to stop the rollout. One or two cases of pericarditis would have been enough to stop the rollout. But that's not happening. They're going ahead with the next round of injections when it's clear that, you know, is it safe and effective? That should be enough for the government to say, wait a minute, we're going to stop this, we're going to consider, we're going to look at what we can see globally, and we're going to have a really good corridor about, um, you know, the things that might be going wrong, things that we're seeing, the things that clinicians are pointing out. But there isn't any. We're back onto that single source of truth narrative, which is why we've stood back and said, wait a minute, things are not okay. It should not be happening like it is. And of course, those who are unjabbed become really the control group. If this is an experiment rolled out worldwide, do we see the same leaps in myocarditis in the unjabbed? Do we see the same leaps in skin conditions, tinnitus and, and other neurological damage in the unjabbed? And equally, do we see the, the numbers of the unjabbed in hospital? My question, Gabrielle, have you been watching this? Are all these people being reported as COVID cases in hospital potentially jabbed people, people who've taken one, two or three I'm not even a nurse, but that is data that I would really want to know. How many are jabbed? How many are unjabbed in hospitals? And then blow me down. Someone sends an email last week and says, the people who've taken only two jabs are potentially going to be put back in the unjabbed category. So they're playing with our data. They're mucking around with our data. Have you heard any of this, Gabrielle? Absolutely, I've heard that, and I've seen with um, with uh, voices for freedom that even Radio New Zealand had taken down graphs that maybe didn't show things quite in the light that they wanted. Uh, you know, from the very beginning, we heard about people dying from COVID. But actually, we know there was a lot of people where there was deaths from other things, and it was being questioned, you know, a suicide or a motor vehicle de death is not a death from COVID. So there seems to be a lot of numbers that people have just fudged for their own ends. And I, what is that? I mean, I, I, we can only, um, you know, dig and, and question as to why that is, but there has been a complete lack of transparency with the numbers. There was the guy in Auckland who died from gunshot wounds and he was a COVID death. So for me, I just feel when we don't get the honesty and it's from the top down, how can you trust this? Our media sources have not been honest. Um, you, you can just see this whenever you search something up that questions anything that's going on immediately You've got COVID advertising, get the whole truth. Here's the facts. Here's about the misinformation. It's just this lovely rhetoric that we're getting all the time. 
and you just you can't go away from it you know and I, I don't know why people's haven't their alarm bells haven't been going off <laughs> absolutely so that you know what what Gabrielle says there there's if, if we put in some of our interviews this ghastly woman called I think her name's Kate Hanna from the from the Tepunaha Matatini, the minister's, the um, propaganda arm, I'll call it, of the prime minister. What happens in a, in a mind, do you think, Sue, as a mental health nurse, for someone like Jacinda Ardern to be able to do this and sleep at night? I often ask people to send her a message down the camera. The most common message is, how do you sleep at night? Yeah, I think we've all wondered that, I think. I, I think she just doesn't care. She she just doesn't care what, what's going on. There doesn't seem to be a heart. I mean, you know, you could label her, label her as a narcissist. I don't know. But it's, um, yeah, I just don't think she cares. If she cared, she'd be looking at what was happening. She would be talking to the people about what's going on for their lives. She's just taking more and there's more and more being taken away from us every day, more and more people becoming sick, being hurt, struggling, businesses have closed, you know, and it's and it's only through what we're doing here today that, that we're trying to get our message out. I'd luckily, some of my family members have been listening to everything that I'm saying to them. Others have gone, oh, she's gone cuckoo, I'm not going to have anything more to do with her, and, and they haven't. Wow. <laughs> I laugh because anybody less cuckoo, uh, you're far from cuckoo, Sue. (laughs) What were you saying? (laughs) I just think Jacinda just, they they just don't care. They're on an agenda of what they need to be done. And and yeah, yeah, they're not listening to the people at all. They're not listening to our heartfelt stories. They're not seeing the tears. It's it's us that are not sleeping at night. Sue, could you do that? Could you look down this camera and from your heart imagine that I am not here, that Jacinda Ardern is is right in front of you there. Write down and say, Jacinda, this is what I want to say to you. I think I'd cry, Jacinda, if I met you in person. I I I would cry and I'd be upset. I'm angered. I am upset with... Yeah, with how our lives have been turned upside down, with how you've given us no choice, how you've bullied us into having something that that we have every right to make a decision about for our own self, our own families, our own bodies. I I am I can't understand how anybody yeah in your in, in your position, Jacinda, who would who would you put us through this? We're not a team of five million we're not being kind to each other this isn't kind this is this is yeah um it's 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 just unbelievable to even think that a lot of us are here in this situation and yeah I, I think I'd yeah I wouldn't be very happy if I ran into here <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be very happy Jacinda I'm not happy <laughs> I'm not happy. I may look like I'm smiling. Maybe I'm the smiling assassin. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at me. I'm close. Look, I've got my my arms crossed now, and yeah, I'm not not in a very comfortable position with even thinking about it. 
yeah. Thank you for that honesty. Thank you. Deborah, what would you what would you say if you had this one minute and she actually was here and this is your one opportunity? Really hard question, Liz, because I actually don't think that Jacinda is um, pulling the strings on this one. I actually think that she's having her strings pulled. And I actually think this is a bigger agenda. Um, so she's probably following dictates of whoever else is involved in this situation. But I, I probably would appeal to you, Jacinda, as um, a human being, to show some of the kindness that you saw readily preach and so that you saw readily want others to see in you maybe you need to start showing it to the nurses to other doctors clinicians and to the people of New Zealand because we're not seeing kindness we've seen tyrannical behavior and we've seen behavior that is tearing our country apart rather than building it up and it's now time for it to stop and you know this deep down inside I believe you're a mother you have belonged to a church, you belong to small groups. So you know what it's like to be needed, to be wanted, to be loved. So we appeal to your better nature to actually do what's right here and to be a leader that really cares, to be a leader that can make a difference and to stop having your strings pulled by the higher echelons of power who are clearly controlling you to stand up and be counted and be a woman descender. That's brilliant. You see, I, I hear what you say, she's having her strings pulled, and many of us have looked at the World Economic Forum, the fact that she was part of Klaus Schwab's Young Leaders School, and it behoves everybody to look into that now. It's all on the internet. Mm. She was a star young leader, along with Macron and Trudeau, and Helen Clark was there back in the day, Angela Merkel. They've all been in there, and Klaus Schwab's skites about having these young global leaders all around the globe that he instructs on what to say. That's what it looks like because they all use the same language. However, there's this, there is a point in each of our lives where someone might tell us to do something that's wrong, but we have that choice of saying, I won't go along with it. I don't care what it costs me. I will not go along with it. And that's what you three are doing. That's courage. That's a life well lived. That's moral fiber. What about you, Gabrielle? If you had a message that could also get her to think about those girls that you cared about so much, what, what is it you'd say to her if you had a minute of her time? Jacinda? Jacinda, I would say that um, really you know what you're doing is not about health. And the reality is you have harmed more people than you have helped. And that is evidenced by the good people who have been forced out of the health sector as well as many other sectors. And in the final analysis, you will be held to account. And whether you believe in God as I do or anything else, you will be held to account for what you have done. You have decimated health. And the very sad thing is, I will get over my hurts and my sadnesses and my grief, but you are robbing our patients. You are robbing the people we love and we want to help through their difficult times. And they will hold you to account for that. 
you have separated families, friends, churches, communities. You have tried to tell people that we are the great unwashed. They will see a few of us take a bath. They will see we are not that unwashed. And they will actually start to see you with your hand wringing, nervous tension that you are not telling the truth of what's going on. And you will be held to account. And I'm going to be praying for you more as time goes on that you will have your heart changed, as it says in Ezekiel, your heart of stone taken out and replaced with a heart of flesh. That's what I'm praying for you, Jacinda. Amen to that. <laughs> what a powerful prayer, though. Deborah, what extraordinary women. And are these two women typical of the women in the Nurses for Freedom group? Because these two are amazing women. Yeah, they are amazing women. And very blessed to be amongst them this morning. And um, yeah, they are representative of, of the characters of our group, despite what um, is being put out there by mainstream media. And I do think it takes a certain kind of nurse or clinician to actually say no to the injection. So, you know, we are strong, we are um, persistent, we are determined, and we will like you said earlier in the interview, Liz, you know, something will, good will come from this because we will make sure it does because when we refuse to be bullied anymore, we refuse to be um, told what to think, what to do, how to think we, we, with clear, critical thinkers and we will rise from the ashes. We will um, find new ways of reinventing ourselves. We will continue to care. We'll continue to love. We'll continue to nurse in its essence. We're not going to be overcome by this. It's going to make us stronger. What doesn't kill you will make you stronger. Definitely. Or oh, that beautiful saying, only the, the, the most beautiful, brightest diamonds are bright because they get tossed with the roughest of stones. And this is a period of being tossed in the rough stones of life. But you're all shining in my eyes. Let's move to that now. What about solutions? Sue, can you see solutions? What is what is a way through? Look, if I made you Minister of Health tomorrow, seriously, if I put you in that portfolio and said you are it, how, where would we begin as a country to heal this, our most important and our largest workforce? I mean, nurses are the health workforce. They, they really are a massive, crucial resource for this country, and they are being violated by the Minister of Health and by the Prime Minister. What would you do as Minister of Health, Sue? Well, I mean, it, it, look, even back when the mandates came in, there were offers from me to, to work from home, to not be amongst everybody else, to work in isolation, to triage, to do risk assessments on the phone. That wasn't taken up by the DHB. You know, I applied for jobs to work from home. I had to be triple vaxxed. Had to be at least oh. double vexed to even work in isolation in my own home when I have no patient contact whatsoever. I think I think there needs to be a massive change in our healthcare system. There needs to be um, not this one size fits all. And for me, going down through my cancer journey for the last nine years, I know one size doesn't fit all. I, I know there's other options out there for, for, for treatment and for 
um, good health. And I think over in the UK, they've, they've started up hubs of holistic healthcare like hubs. Beautiful. They're, they're popping up all over the place. I think there's many people that I know that would want to and would be interested in that. Um, that would not necessarily have our medicalised model that we, we're so used to in the hospitals. And that would offer alternative sort of um, care and, and treatment that has got research-based, um, I, I guess, outcomes that, that work. I, th I think we're too much, uh, yeah, um, think that our hospitals know exactly what, what we all need. And I don't think we've been told everything. Um, you know, for me, that has gone through chemotherapy, mastectomy, radiotherapy twice, possibly looking at chemo again. I'd be very reluctant, very reluctant to, to for my body to go down that, um, that route. I think there's alternatives and I think there needs to be a, um, a coming together of, of those people. There's some beautiful people out there that do some amazing work. Um, yeah out of our healthcare systems, out of the hospital setting, I guess, what a that are trying to um, promote, <laughs> promote good health in other ways. Where is our exercise, our good diets, our, our things that, you know, we should have been promoting throughout all of this COVID experience? And that's the stuff that we need to get back to the basics of, I think. It's incredible hearing you talk, Sue, out of this sort of ashes of, of this, this, this destruction from this government. There you rise in your answer like this beautiful phoenix, a vision of something quite different. I know two nurses who started an IV vitamin C and zinc and niacin, all sorts of things, uh, infusion centre. And you can go along and just get a drip in your arm. And I was starting to get sick last week and I just, just from exhaustion, I think, and I went along, I felt completely different. After an hour, after an hour of vitamin C because my body's under stress and I needed that boost. You know, our nurses could have little centres like that all over New Zealand. Wouldn't that be a wonderful health system? Deborah, what about you? Can you offer your visions of where we could have solutions to the mess that we're in at the moment? And clearly, mine would be keep politicians mostly well away from anything to do with health policy unless they're fully trained medical professionals, medical or naturopathic professionals, yeah. I think there's a few things there, Liz, that, you know, the doctor-patient relationship has been trampled on completely in this narrative. You know, now a GP may think patients shouldn't have the vaccine, but politicians overrule. Whenever has that happened before in our history, in world history, where politicians get to dictate health outcomes. I mean, that is completely wrong. But in terms of what nurses, you know, what nurses are thinking about and how we are going to reinvent ourselves, if the mandates aren't dropped, and we really hope the mandates will be dropped, but if the mandates aren't dropped, we're a creative lot. You know, we can um, do things differently. We can reinvent ourselves. And that will happen because of the kind of people that we represent. It's sad that that means that they will be lost to to the public health system because that is potentially what will happen if we have to take ourselves into an alternate system. However, the World Health Organization a long time ago had um, a, I can't remember if it was their objectives, but they said clearly that health is not just the absence of disease. 
And that is what we're dealing with at the moment, that you're either healthy or you're unhealthy, determined by COVID or the flu. Health is a bigger picture. Health is about um, who, you, who your relationships are with. It's who you communicate with. It's how you communicate. It's how you think. It's what you eat. It's how you exercise. It's your diet. There's so many things associated with health. Well, we've lost that, and our health system in this country has become the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, picking up ill health or disease. And we really need to start getting back to um, public health initiatives that are encouraging people to be um, healthy communities, to be learning how to do things in a way that, you know, like making kombucha and baking bread and things that, you know, things that... And enhance relationships between people because positive relationships can also lead to positive health. We've missed so much out because we've gone down this big pharma route where everything is controlled by medication and by a visit to your doctor or by a visit to the ED. And that is so untrue. So we really need to go back. And if I was Minister of Health, I'd be going back to the definition of what is health. And that would be completely put out for consultation and there'd be discussion and debate around this. What is health and how can we bring our um, communities and the whole of Aotearoa back to good health, to um, sustainable health, to health that brings resilience, to health that is meaningful, not health that's just getting us through from day by day, but health that actually brings joy to our lives. I think we've missed the whole premise of what we could potentially have in this space. What a brilliant answer. What a brilliant answer. And, and that's what I was saying before, that we need a system run by those who really understand how to grow healthy food, the best of our farmers, and how to grow um, beautiful young bodies into healthy adults. So the people who might be trained in Chinese acupuncture, the people trained in wonderful herbal medicine, in IV vitamin C, as I said before, we could have so many options, couldn't we, Deborah? Absolutely. So many options if we opened up from this stultifying, suffocating control of big pharma. And we have no idea how they've brought the politicians to their knees to be so subservient to big pharmaceutical. But it is there and it's staring New Zealand in the face when a prime minister says there's only one road to health. We'll give you KFC to take it. And we know KFC is not good for health. You will have it at the point of a needle. And if not, almost at the point of a gun, it felt like at times, you know, in Wellington when they attacked the Freedom Village. So that is not health. So what is health? What a beautiful definition. Gabrielle, what about you as Minister of Health? What's your, what's the policy that comes to you? Because I, I tell you, there's a wonderful researcher in, uh, I think, Dunedin, Julia Rutledge, who's done extraordinary papers on how great nutrition can stop recidivism rates in prisoners. And that research really excites me. Feed proper nutrition, put them out into the community, and they start to live productive, healthy lives. Imagine that. What would you do? Imagine that. Imagine having people that love their work, that love their patients, that, uh, and I'm talking appropriate love, I'm not talking inappropriate love, but really have such a heart for their people that they think of what is best for them. What is patient-centric? What does that look like? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I ticking this box? Is this going to help my patient, this particular course I'm on? Or do I need to actually say, no, that's not going to help. 
and this is what we have got to do. Now, you, we all know it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not rocket science to work out that that Maori tangata whenua are overrepresented in the prisons. It's not, um, uh, it's not rocket science to know these people have beautiful dark skin, and yet we lock them away out of the sun where they aren't getting the essential vitamin D they need from the sun. We lock these people up so they don't get exercise. Uh, we don't, you know, we've got a captive audience in the prison per se. We don't teach them about the nutrition, about how to feed themselves. What is, you know, what do all these things look like, a, a good functioning relationships, et cetera. I just think what we've done is we've looked, and as Deborah said, and Sue's alluded to it, I think as well, you know, we've looked at, we've had the single focus and it's been on symptom. It hasn't been on cause. It hasn't been on what is under this. So we've got these pharmaceutical companies that are just, you know, pouring their drugs onto all these unwitting customers and they're not giving good health. They're not changing lives. We're not getting to the cause, to the bottom of why they are having that difficulty with their health. And we're not seeing this whole person. You know, we should be adopting, to my mind, the model of Tifari Tapafar, or the four pillars of health. Why aren't we doing that? Because we're not. You know, we're, we've just looked at this one issue with the, the COVID, and we've said there's only one solution. And as you say, it's on the it's this needle. Not everything else, not all the health promotion and all of those things. So what are the four pillars, Gabrielle? What are they? So you have um, um, you have mental, spiritual, fano, and tinana, or um, have I said physical? So physical, physical no, mental, spiritual, mental, whānau. spiritual, whānau, yeah, so and the, physical. So the four things, and you know, like when I worked in the prison, it was all about that. I wasn't just seeing this person in front of me that just had this issue on the day. It was what's going on at home. You know, we'd have people who were worried sick about their children, who was looking after them, that their um, their flat was going to be. Um, you know, that they weren't going to have a flat, they had no money coming in, all these other things. We can't just see people in, in just the, the spot they're in right now. We have to look around. We have to ask more questions. And I think we have to be allow ourselves to be a bit vulnerable with our people in order for them to believe, you know, that we have got their best interests at heart and, you know, just to respond to that. I mean, I just... To be I, real, to be real with the people. I had, I had amazing experiences because I saw my people as my people. They weren't this bad person with what they had done. I, that was completely aside, and I just saw the person for the beautiful, broken wahine they were rather than the bits they came with. You know what I mean? And I think we've just got this... We've got a really faulty way of looking at things. And um, I don't know whether it's you that said or Deborah that said about potential. All these people have potential. We all have potential. Why are we not looking to that and building upon? Because that's where we're all going to be a whole lot happier, building people up. That is beautiful. And, you know, that is a lesson for the media. You've mentioned a couple of times my old alma mater, Radio New Zealand, 
I'm so ashamed, so ashamed of them. A total a lack of journalism, but more than that, a lack of integrity, the arrogance of them. Somebody was uh, making comment on the five o'clock, the checkpoint program the other day, and it was screenshot and, and sent around the different um, platforms on social media. But it was someone writing to the producer of Checkpoint on Radio New Zealand saying, will you stop all these um, anti-vax people from commenting? And the producer came back and said, yes, I've already it was like, I've already shadow banned them or, you know, nobody will be able to read the comments. So the only comments you could read were the pro jab ones. And that is from someone pretending to produce a piece of journalism. And that is not journalism. That is not integrity. That is not right. So all of these stories need to get out. And although I've, I've alluded to it only passingly, because I really wanted to capture the beauty and the vision and the determination, the courage of you all, I want you briefly to just go around and tell me what this has felt like in this last week or 10 days, this horrible assault in mainstream media, Deborah. We'll start with you and what you're hearing from your fellow nurses who are seeing all these twisted comments about nurses. So, so obviously this last week for me has been um, a bit of a roller coaster. I was invited to um, speak on the, the uh, project it wasn't something I chose to do. It's something that just happened, unfortunately, um, or just happened. And I purposely haven't watched the um, segment after my interview because I know what kind of people that we're dealing with. So I knew what was coming. So I haven't watched it. I've heard reference to it. And I believe that um, at nighttime, the airwaves on radio were also um, full of um, anti-nurse sentiment. Oh, it was pretty shocking. I'm so sorry. But the thing is, Liz, here's the thing that, you know, I'm kind of getting on in years now. And one of the things I've learned is that the only opinion that matters is the opinion of people around me that I respect. And self-made media um, presenters, would-be politicians, they have no respect in my understanding because, first of all, they're not qualified to speak. And secondly, do I really care what they're going to say? You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that talks about if you hate it for righteousness sake. And if we believe what we're doing is righteous and we believe we're standing up for humankind and we believe that we're just saying, hey, we want to talk about this. We're not saying whether the vaccine's right or wrong for the death of the public. Um, we're saying it's right or wrong for us and we're entitled to that opinion. But if people hate us for that, we cannot um, control what people's opinions are. So I actually don't care what people are saying and I don't care about the rhetoric that's come our way because of the interviews and the, um, the, the media coverage. What I do care is when people get hurt. So when my nurses are getting hurt because of some of this um, anti-vax, as they call it, rhetoric, then that is not good. And, and the important thing to point out here, Liz, is that the majority of our nurses are not anti-vax. So this is a whole new title that spread like fire, which is actually really untrue. I am fully vaccinated. My children are fully vaccinated. I have worked as a vaccinator in the past. I am against this particular vaccine. And the, we need to lose that label because it's it just um, kind of lumps us with a whole other journey for other people and that isn't healthy for us because we need to stand alone on this particular battle on this hill which we will 
of which we've chosen to fight our battles on. So I, in terms of what the media is saying and what the media are thinking, does it really matter? We know in our hearts what the truth is. We know we're on the right side of history and we know what our role is here. And we will fight on that because that is really, really important to the point of losing our mortgages, losing our houses, losing our livelihood, losing our family. It's something that is so serious that senior nurses are willing to lose and to have to leave work because we really believe in this cause. We really believe it's worth fighting for. What extraordinary answers. My father had a saying, never explain your friends don't need it and your enemies won't believe you anyway. But I took that through. I've had eight or nine rounds of abuse from mainstream media simply for standing up in the last 11 months. And I can feel them coming, one or two, and then they all follow each other like, like braying, um, you know, sort of hyenas, really. I don't want to insult sheep. Um, <laughs> and by the seventh or eighth time, I just, I just went, I'm, it, they're pathetic because each time they come after me, more people come and say, it's not right what they're doing to you, Liz. It's woken me up. Why are they going after you like this? It's made me question. So it's working against the very thing they want, which is me belittled and broken. But the key I would say to any of you fine nurses, and I'm talking to the group of 750 now, don't read the horror comments. Don't read, do exactly what Deb has done. Simply look away and don't read the trolls. Don't. Some of them are definitely government trolls. We know that for sure. They're put out there to try to cast doubt. They did it from the beginning with Casey Hodgkinson and they still try to troll her. They're disgusting and say she's a fake when she's suffered as I've seen her for months. So they're not worth reading and they're not worth worrying about. Deborah, that's, that's fine advice. So for you, what was that like? Just briefly, I don't want to give them too much airtime, but what a shameful lot. I think some comedian on that project said in this terribly pompous way, well, I wouldn't want my family treated by a nurse that hasn't been vaxxed. And there was one comment that just popped up when I saw that um, little, little uh, excerpt that was sent to me, but the comment was brilliant. It was... Um, well, mate, if it's, a, if it's a difference between a nurse or no nurse at all and you die, wouldn't you rather have a nurse? <laughs> I thought the last laugh will be on <laughs> us, not on that comedian. But, Sue, what did you feel seeing all of that abuse? Just abuse, that's how it was uh, for me. I, it, was, it was abusive, and I thought just shame, just shame on you for even, even saying that out loud maybe think it if, if, but just to have that in a in such a public arena I just thought what a what a shameful person or shameful comment I mean it, it's like well would you want to be treated by somebody who's Maori or Pacific I mean it's such discrimination such discrimination and we are good nurses we are good experienced nurses there's no way we would be wanting to put our our families at, at risk and I just, I just felt what a, what a dumbass. Oh, sorry. Absolutely. <laughs> I think, I think we cannot, we cannot top that, Sue. I think that's yeah. the comment of the whole interview. I think, I think we leave it there. But I would, I would just, I'm just delighted in talking to the three of you you are such special women such brave women and I think your courage will help so many others stand up 
who do they reach out to? Um, Deborah, Nurses for Freedom, where can people find you? Is it only on Telegram? Where else are you? No, so we've got a sign-up form on um, our website, which is, um, well, maybe I'll give you the email. So it's nursesforfreedomnz at gmail.com. And then we can direct people to our website because I just can't remember it. But we have got a website now and we will keep people informed about any actions that we're going to be taking. Lovely. And final comments just around the group for each of you. Your message to New Zealand, the people who are feeling as, as we've all felt those dark nights of the soul. We've all been through it. What's your comment, first of all, Deborah, to people who might need some hope and some sustenance for their souls right now? This might be, it might appear that um, the powers that be are winning the battle, but we know who wins the war. Sue, yours. I just think, just keep shining your light and sending the love out there. I'm standing underneath that big universe every night and I'm just putting the love out into the world and that will win. The love will win, the light will win and and that is absolutely what I believe in and I think more and more people are, are seeing that. They're questioning, they're saying this is not right. Yeah, um, just I just just keep putting the love out because that'll fight off all the evil. Yeah. Beautiful. Gabrielle, last word to you. I think take heart. We are born for such a time as this. We don't know why that is or why we're having to go through this suffering. Personally, as a faith-believing person, I, I feel I've got a bit of an idea as to why that is. But I just encourage anyone, faithful or not, to, to the beliefs I have, take heart. We are all in this together. And despite our government trying to isolate, silo, discredit, and malign us we are here and we are standing so many months later and we are gaining ground and look even with what's happened with you Debbie in the last two weeks we've heard more about nurses in the last two weeks than we have heard in probably um, a year or so with the, with the mandates so that is that's good that's good going and I take heart in that and I think also when people talk about, oh, I wouldn't want to be nursed by them, maybe just remind people that you may well be COVID recovered. And even despite their hardness of heart, when they're really sick, you will look forward to being able to care for them. And I don't mean that in a nasty way. I mean that in a real uh, sense of that's that's what nursing's about. It's it's when people don't necessarily want or deserve our care, we will still be there regardless, and we will still care for them. So, my God, go. what a note to finish on. That is why, consistently in polls, nurses top the polls as the most trusted professionals. My love to you all, and my deep respect, Deborah. My Deep respect to your group. Thank you all. Please email your support to nursesforfreedomnz at proton.me.